0: On today's episode, the most common marathon mistakes. Welcome to the podcast helping you train, rehab and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But, unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me under-trained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. I have a solo topic today, talking about the most common marathon mistakes. Uh, in particular, like first marathon mistakes. I did a YouTube video months and months ago uh, where I had this topic and I asked a whole bunch of people on running Facebook groups what they, what mistakes they had had and then I sort of compiled their um, responses and thought I'd do an episode on it now, podcast episode, just to expand upon it. Like, you know, with YouTube videos, you, you try to make it as concise as possible. You try to not make it drag on for too long because you want the retention to be quite high and be quite punchy in terms of delivering the stuff, which means I can't ramble on and dive into specifics and dive into, um, you know, exploring different options and sort of just trailing off and hopefully adding some value along the way. But... Needless to say, I think this would be a great one to rehash, repurpose a little bit of it, but also add some value there as well. And so uh, what I did was for the topic, I thought marathon mistakes would be useful for people um, because we all have mistakes. Like my marathon was a disaster. Like the first um, year of me running, I ran the Melbourne marathon and I got my fueling wrong. I got my pacing strategy wrong. I was overconfident. I blew up with 30, like I blew up at maybe the 28k mark, had to walk at the 30k mark. And that's like still an hour to go. And yeah, I ended up just getting over four hours, but you know, didn't really have much of a fueling strategy. Didn't really think too much about hydration and eating. I had my race gel in my back pocket. And I got this gel with my race pack, never had gels before in my life, but I thought, oh yeah, this would be good to have. And, <laughs> um, did I have, I didn't have one beforehand, but I just, you know, at about the 25 K mark, I decided to have my first gel, took it in to like yucky gooey. I, I, I struggled to breathe when I, when I had it, it was just, um, really sticky and I probably needed to take it with water. I didn't realize, and so I had one or two mouthfuls, and just threw out the rest and threw out the other one that I had in there because I'm like, this isn't working, and so just went on just trying to drink water and yeah, fell to pieces. Felt really like unwell, sick, dizzy, sort of symptoms that I hadn't really had in my training, which I didn't really do long runs. I did one 30k run approaching the marathon. That was about it. So underdone, underprepared, made all the mistakes and I was hoping for I think three hours 40 and I got over four hours so off my mark by a long way. I didn't really like the time that I got but enjoy the day for what it was Um, but like I say there's plenty of mistakes that I've done and I put out the question onto a bunch of different Facebook groups and it was obviously a popular topic because In like 24 hours, I had 230 responses that I had to sift through and sort of categorize and kind of compile it all. So it was a bunch of work, but I have here six categories which everyone's responses sort of fit into and then sort of expand upon the dot points of each. And so we're going to go from least popular, least common, to the most common mistakes. And so the category, the first category, which was the least common, had 13 responses in that bucket. And I kind of labeled it as foot care mistakes. And this is an important one because, you know, your feet take a brutal pounding when you run. And not only does it take a brutal pounding, so you need to take care of them. But also, if things go wrong and there's a little bit of pain in your foot, it can really derail a lot of your running. Um, If you have sort of knee pain, hip pain, glute pain, that sort of stuff, you know, you can kind of run through it. But if foot pain gets quite intense, it sort of really, really halts you. And so I have a few suggestions, a few responses that came in. Um, A couple was about cutting Toenails, um, like trying to prepare for the marathon, they cut their toenails and they cut them back too much. So, too much cutting, uh, too short of a toenail, and that just caused a whole bunch of pain and irritation during. Um, some people used toe creams and that irritated. So, you know, there's going to be a general theme around here, but it's trying to mimic race day. Don't try creams on marathon day if you've never tried them before. Um, so foot care mistakes, running in new shoes. It sounds like a big mistake looking back in hindsight, but people do it. Some people have new shoes and decide to erase in them or they haven't transitioned appropriately into them. They haven't done enough mileage in them beforehand. And they just like, yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't work out well for them. Don't, don't just don't do that. Make sure you're transitioned into the shoe and they're well worn, your body's used to it. Um, The wrong fitted shoe was common as well in these responses. And I will say that if you're not used to, or don't know how you respond running in a certain type of shoe for long distances, you want to run long distances before the marathon to see if it is the right fit, because not a lot of people realize it's mainly for ultras, but I guess in the, you know, if it cut three, four hours into a marathon, your feet do get swollen and people swell more than others, but your foot can go up half a size if you're not careful, or if you don't have the room for that, you know, you can start getting a lack of space that can start leading to pressure and buildup and toenails pushing onto the front of the shoes and a whole bunch of issues that happen there. Um, And some people said new socks or small socks tended to not favor them too much, which, you know, pretty easy just to wear old socks. Um, I will say with the shoe fitting as well, if you have an ultra or a marathon that has quite a lot of downhill, you really want to prepare for that. You want to have the right shoe. You want to have the right lacing done up because I think we talk about... um, Supplies and that sort of stuff, but anyway, um, if you run downhill and you are actually running, the when you contact the ground, the foot's going to slide in the front into the front of the shoe, and your toes sort of have this trauma. They sort of ram into the front of the shoe, and that's where you get black toenails. That's where you get real painful nails, and Um, bruises and all that sort of stuff. It's just because your body isn't used to having those toes ramming into the front of the shoe. And so if you have a shoe that's half a size larger or one that has a larger toe box space and you have your laces just a little bit tighter at the top rows, it's probably going to limit that amount of sliding. Or you could just take a little bit more time on the downhills so you don't have this full speed hit the ground, ram the foot into the front of the shoe or you just make sure that you're training appropriately and make sure that your body's used to a bit of trauma at the front of the shoe and you should be okay. So a few little add ons there because a lot of people think they get like bruised toes every time they do a marathon or every time they run an ultra and they're wondering why Um, that's usually the case. So foot care mistakes was the, um, had 13 responses in that bucket Um, the next most common, which had 19 responses, had to do with some sort of clothing or supply mistakes. So I made this mistake as well. Um, I had my marathon kit the day before, I got my marathon kit and had the gels in them, which I'm like, yep, I'll use one of those for the race. But there was also the Melbourne Marathon like singlet that I'm like, oh, let me wear that. And (laughs) the stitching on the under the armpit was fine. It was fine when you walk around and you sort of um, feel it, feels good, feels silky, happy to run in it. But it probably didn't even bother me during the marathon, maybe at the very, very end, but several hours after the marathon, like jumping into the shower after the marathon and the next morning I had this red raw, um, friction burn friction sort of graze underneath my arm and it was so painful so stingy and yeah just because i wasn't used to it and the uh the stitching was fairly new and yeah i made that mistake so other marathoners have mentioned any sort of rubbing or chafing clothing sort of issues um the nipple nipple tape um some people said that uh not to have nipple tape some people said have nipple tape because their nipples get sore some people say that nipple tape made it worse some people have uh forgot to have bra strap lubricant those sorts of things you want to prepare in your long runs during your training to see what works for you and what doesn't so on race day you have the right bra you have the right nipple tape and you know what's going to fare well. Some people said they, they forgot to put on sunscreen, so I guess it depends on your climate and what time of the day and those sorts of things. Uh, cotton, cotton was no good. Cotton underwear, socks, whatever, um, doesn't do too well, so people made those mistakes. The Just suited, suiting to the weather conditions, make sure you are suiting to the weather conditions. You, you're getting the right clothing, hats, covers. If it's cold, make sure you're you're layered appropriately. If it's hot, make sure you have um, a hat, sunglasses, sunscreen, those sorts of things. If it goes from really cold to really hot, make sure that you have the right layers that you can take off or um, those sorts of things. Like when it's really cold here, I run with gloves. I run with like a face um, neck warmer, which I put over my face. I have like my hoodie sometimes and I'll put my hood on and then as I run, I peel off those layers, hood comes off, um, The I just roll my sleeves up, take my gloves off, take my neck warmer off, and I can just put those in my pockets. If I do take my hoodie off, tie it around my waist, I have these layers that I can sort of unravel uh, depending on how warm I feel as the run goes on. So these are things that you just want to prepare for, and make sure you're suiting to those conditions. Sometimes it's hard. I know a few years ago, we had um, unseasonably cold weather approaching spring for our marathon. And then the day of the marathon was a lot warmer than what we had expected. It was about, I think, 25 or 26 degrees. So not, not hot, hot, but we just hadn't experienced that type of weather for several months. And so um, a lot of people suffer just because they couldn't really meet those conditions. But, you know, do what you can. The I put in here, some people said not fully charging their devices, that being like their phone or being their watch or something like that, which can derail their race day in terms of keeping pace or keeping time or, you know, people just wanting to post it onto Strava or something and then just getting really bummed when it dies and they can't track their run those sorts of things. So, um, clothing issues, supply issues, want to make sure that we're trying to forecast what that looks like, what the weather looks like, what my clothing will be so that you're taking out all the guesswork come the morning of the race, you know, exactly what you're going to wear. If it gets too hot, exactly what you're going to peel off and just keeping that idea, you know, that when you do your long runs, if your nipples get sore, you've got the tape, if your bras get irritated, you've got the lubricant. So, taking out all the guesswork and just reassuring yourself that you're going to be as comfortable as possible. Number three of six that we have, um, 24 responses was, um, compiled in this particular bucket and is what I sort of labeled mindset mistakes. And I guess not preparing mentally for what's ahead, how tough it can be because marathons are bloody hard. (laughs) Uh, You hear it all the time from marathon runners, and it's almost like if you're ill-prepared, sometimes people do your 5K, 10K, half marathon, then marathon, and they think a marathon is just double a half marathon. It simply isn't. The distance is double, but the level of fatigue, the attrition, the mindset, the um, just the battle you have physically and mentally is just far beyond what a half marathon can generate. And that's why it's so tough. And so people are just not prepared for that. Uh, some people really struggle physically. Some people really struggle mentally. And um, yeah, some people can know that and kind of psych themselves out at the same time. So some people can kind of go one way. Some people can be a bit nonchalant, um, can be a bit naive. And that's essentially what I did. Uh, When I was racing, I did one half marathon. It went really, really well, really happy. Um, My pace was really nice, happy with the position that I, uh, my finishing time and sort of like, you look at your rankings compared to your age group and your gender and that sort of thing. And I was like, really happy with that. Um, and so I went into the marathon, you'd say, you'd call it overconfident, um, and not really prepared for what was about to happen. Uh, so that's like the naive side of things, but people can also go the other way and just be anticipate sort of like hitting the wall and almost psyching themselves out. So you kind of need a bit more, you need to be realistic. Um, you need to have some strategies in place to, to help with that. Overthinking strategies can also be something that can be a mistake. Um, sometimes marathons, you know, you, you need to get a couple of marathons under your belt to find what works for you, where your weak links might be, and what strategies really, really help. Um, some pressure to perform always is the case. Some people want to do get PB. Some people want to improve marathon upon marathon. Some people want to do a certain time, whether that be for charity or for their own goals are to beat someone else, um, pressure to perform is a big one that can ruin race day um, and overreacting when things aren't going your way. There's a whole bunch of unexpected things that can happen on race day, that being like digestive issues, or it's too, it's a bit more windy. It's a bit more hot. Um, you're getting some pain or setbacks and like all these sorts of things. There's so many unexpected things that can happen. And a lot of people can overreact when the things that, when things don't go your way, especially things out of your control, why overreact with those? Just, you know, there's no point. And so when it comes to the mindset side of things, um, there's plenty of strategies you can have. Um, I've talked to Brian Hanley uh, on the podcast before and we're talking about um, cognitive load, just minimizing as much cognitive load as possible. And so every time you're thinking every time you're thinking about strategy and pace and decisions, just simply just the act of making decisions depletes some of your energy. Um, Your brain requires a lot of energy to operate. The more thinking and processing power and um, overthinking can zap your energy because it requires more fuel. And so we're talking about a sport of attrition. If you can try and minimize that as much as possible, then you're giving yourself a better chance. And so how we do that is by minimizing your cognitive load or your brain power by having a plan in place, having a strategy, following a race pace, a pacer. Therefore, you're not looking at your watch every 15 minutes to see if you're on target. You just follow the person that's um, going to finish at that time. So those sort of things can be really nice of reducing that cognitive load You don't need to overthink your strategies you're not overreacting to certain things um and you know the feeling side's totally different the physical side's totally different but that's a really good strategy for the mental side of things um and they usually try well i actually don't know i think marathon paces try to keep an even split but you know, people comment on YouTube saying that that doesn't actually happen. Some people start off slow and then speed up at the end. Some paces um, try to slow down at the end and try and time it that way. Negative split or positive split, I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, mindset mistakes, identify them, try it. It's, it's, people don't really self-reflect on these things. Try and self-reflect if this has been you um, or if you anticipate you are the type of person who would do that if you haven't done a marathon before, just come up with strategies, come up with distraction strategies, self-talk mantras to say that you're strong, you're capable. Always have these things like music can be a nice distraction, running to the rhythm, listening to your breathing, all of these internal and external cues to get you back into the rhythm of things, get you back into the flow. So, that was number three. Uh, Number four had 44 responses. So 44 for four and was what I categorized as training plan mistakes. Your preparation and your plan approaching um, was a big one. (laughs) It sort of like jumps quite a lot. So from the first category, so foot care, clothing and mindset, we had 13, 19 and 24 responses then we really jump up in terms of the number of responses. So we've got three more to go. We had 44 responses, 64 responses, and 65 responses for the next three that we're gonna talk about. The first one being training plan mistakes, um, which I categorized as, first of all, not training enough. Some people come in underdone like I did. So I did one 30K run, and it was like two weeks before the marathon, I was managing an injury. I can't remember what that injury was at the time, but prevented me from doing some longer runs earlier and thought, you know what, 12Ks to go after that, I'll just be really strong, really um, resilient and just you know power my way through the last 12. I think adrenaline will hit me and I'll be fine. That didn't happen. Um, But I was underdone and some people go in underdone as well. And that might be because of injuries because you're trying to juggle injuries during the training Um, but some people just might not have the accumulation of legs just purely by design which is sort of like the next point I have some people just didn't follow a plan some people didn't have a marathon plan so they just sort of thought yeah I think I'll cover this distance I think I'll cover this weekly mileage They sort of have a vague idea and they just do it but if you don't have a plan then sometimes you can come in underdone Um, there was, I just finished doing another YouTube video, which has been a resounding success. Um, It's been one of my best videos so far, um, answering the question of your longest run, how long your longest run in your training needs to be when preparing for a marathon. And I actually asked a whole bunch of running coaches, researchers, what they thought and compiled their answers and sort of Uh, helped answer the question. So if you are preparing for a marathon, you're not sure how long to run for that helps answer the question. I compare it to the research, compare like expert opinions to the research and sort of clarify it that way. Um, and why they choose a certain answer. I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to let you go to YouTube and figure it out. Um, and that's going to help prepare you. So once you know how long longest training run needs to be when approaching a marathon, then you, you're a bit more prepared and you're less likely to fall within these training plan mistakes. So not training enough, not following a plan. Um, the other one was like, just study what the specifics of the race is, like your terrain, your the hills, the elevation, the climate, the training surface or like the running surface. Is it going to be road? Is it going to be bitumen? My um, sometimes I've done some trail runs where the first K or two is on sand. It's on the beach. And then you go inland after that. So really study, um, again, back to the foot care issues. If you don't train for the downhill stuff and there's a lot of downhills in the race, you're going to get black toenails cause you're, you're ill prepared. Um, you know, you could get calf or Achilles issues if you're not prepared for uphills um, or you take them too fast and you're not prepared as to what effort level to judge with the hills. The climate, sometimes you can't, but if you can, because some people travel for marathons as well and they get to their destination and it's more humid than where they live. So understandably, it's, it's some circumstances are a bit harder than others, but if you do have the luxury of, training within the right volume of the right, um, weather conditions, do that, be prepared for that. Another thing I put in here under the category of training plan mistakes is running too hard on your easy days. I've had some podcast episodes and podcast topics on this before. And a lot of people, they think they're running easy. They're like, yeah, I'm running easy, but they're not running easy enough. They're just, especially when they're feeling good, especially when they've got a race, they've got this reference point in their mind to be like, I want to run the best marathon possible. Their really, really easy days are going to get slightly faster. Just, it just naturally happens if you're not conscious about it and people suffer the consequences. They don't recover as quickly. They get niggles, they get injuries. And then um, that kind of cascade effect takes place where, you have to back off a little bit because you're managing an injury and then the injury feels good, but then you're slightly further back from your reference point of where you think you should be. So you return too quickly, flares it up again. And then that gap between where you want to be and where you are just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, leading you to take larger and larger leaps back into the training. And then all of a sudden it's a real big issue. It's a real severe injury. And some people, forfeit the race altogether or change their marathon to a half marathon and you know or just run through the marathon just grit their teeth and end up with a lot of pain afterwards so this is why it's really important we need to know these we need to forecast these and self-reflect on training and all those sorts of things to know what might have gone wrong and strategies that we can put in place to help with um, mitigating these sorts of things okay we have two more to go and these were by far the most popular. Um, you know, if you're anything like me, uh, when these responses came out, I tried to guess, um, what the most common would be. And turns out I was wrong. Um, my guess came in at number five and it was missed out by one response. Like I said, number five was 64 responses. And number six was 65 responses. So I was quite close, but these two themselves, um, like I thought number five would easily top the biggest mistake that marathoners make, especially in their first marathon. And number five comes in with pacing mistakes, your pacing strategy. And 99% of these responses people just started out way too fast. One response, no, 1%, which was, you know, a couple of responses saying they actually felt like they started out too slow and that cost them, um, a better race, but who knows what they would have done if they ran faster. Um, people start out too fast. Keep this in mind. If you've never done a marathon before and you are, looking to do one. If you have done a marathon before, you are probably nodding your head and being guilty. Um, I know I was guilty. I came in overconfident and was aiming for three hours, 40 based on how I did in the half marathon and based on how I was feeling and the pace. I'm like, oh yeah, I can keep that pace for that distance. I couldn't. And then you've got the added complexity of excitement of race day. You've got the adrenaline pumping Um, you know, I came in overconfident and oblivious and naive to what might be beyond 30 Ks, but you know, some people aren't that, uh, a lot of people, you know, put your hand up if this is you, but competitiveness, uh, you have one person that passes you and you're like, who the hell is that? I'm going to chase them down. Uh, you know all these sort of things just get caught up in your head. I think the excitement and the adrenaline is pretty common, especially from the start line because everyone just starts in a pack. Everyone's cheering, you know, um, there's people passing you, you're passing people, you're trying to pick a good line, you're trying to run around someone and someone runs around you and, you know, you're jumping over gutters and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, just that environment just fosters a lot of starting too quickly. And the, I've got other podcast episodes and YouTube videos about it, Um, the right pace strategy, slightly different for everyone, but you want to try and aim for a slightly even, uh, the most even pace you can, if anything, slightly negative. So your first half of the marathon is slower and you get faster in that second half, that would be a negative split. But the pace should be spread out pretty evenly throughout the race. And that pace that you select should be like the fastest you can. It's essentially you want to try and do the marathon the fastest possible, even splits that you can. That would uh, be consistent and most favorable if you want to get a personal best. But like I say, there's a little bit of leeway here and there. Um, I would like to start out a little bit too slow just so I have a little bit of um, energy for the back half. And if you're fueling appropriately, if you're hydrating appropriately, if the weather's okay, if you've planned out your strategy to the T, then hopefully you can keep that even pace. But psychologically, if you start slow, slower than usual, then when it gets to the middle section and like two thirds in, hopefully you're around runners that are slightly slower than you, hopefully, because you would not believe the amount of psychological boost you get when in the, the last third of a race you're passing people comp- compared to people passing you. That can like give you an extra five minutes or ten minutes on your finishing time. Maybe not ten minutes, but um, it is such a psychological boost or such a psychological hit one way or the other if people are passing you compared to you passing people. And if you start out too fast, two thirds of the way in, you're probably around a whole bunch of runners that are probably more capable than you and they're passing you and you're like, oh, this is the worst. My legs feel so heavy. I know I start out too fast. This is all turning pear-shaped and all these people are passing me. Maybe I'll just slow down and walk and just, you know, today wasn't my day compared to someone who's started off a bit slower, passing people, you're like, this is great. Yeah, my, my legs are heavy. My legs are hurting, but I'm passing people. I'm feeling like good. I'm feeling like I'm making progress. This is going to be a great day. You know, you, you can see those two scenarios playing out. So just bear that in mind. Um, but does require some trial and error in terms of how to pace, what your first 10K should look like, what your middle, third should look like, um, what your fueling strategy should be, like all these sort of things. You do have a bit of trial and error because everyone behaves a, bit, a little bit differently. Everyone's motivations are a little bit different. Everyone reacts a little bit differently. People have different sweat rate losses, different um, sweat concentrations. And, you know, all these prep preparations will vary slightly. Which brings me to the last response, the number six, which had 65 responses in it. Fueling mistakes. Again, I say I've done. Let me just see how much I can tick off of these. So I was okay with my footwear, so I'll I'm okay with that. My clothing made the mistake of wearing that new singlet. Um mindset, I don't think I was strong enough for my my mental strategies. I didn't have any in place. So that's two there. Um, training plan mistakes, I didn't run far enough. Pacing mistakes, I ran out too fast, too quickly, and was just naive and oblivious. And fueling mistakes, I did that um, because I tried that gel for the very, very first time on race day and it sucked and, yeah, derailed me a little bit. So, five out of these six categories I was guilty of in my first marathon. So, um, you know, maybe you can keep a tally as well. How, how many did you tick off? Um, okay, fueling mistakes. People responded with things like eating the wrong thing beforehand, uh, eating the wrong thing during the race, not eating enough in general, just in their training, um, not drinking enough water, drinking too much water, that's definitely a thing, um, and drinking only water. These were the main things that, um, the main responses that came out of those Facebook groups. Um, So let's start with eating wrong beforehand in the wrong things beforehand, you do want to train your gut during your training. I've done a YouTube video on this as, as well. Um, if you go to my YouTube channel and there's like a, um, playlist on race preparation, it will say like preparing for a race. This is the playlist for you. And there's pacing strategies. There's, um, how to taper. There is fueling strategies, all those sorts of things. Um, if you're looking for a bit more deep dive in these specific sort of topics, um, But a lot of people make, like a lot of people train fasted. A lot of people wake up, have a coffee or have some water and then go for a run, then come back and have some food. You're training your body to run without food, but you need food. You need carbs and you need fuel for your marathon. And so people are like, okay, recognize that. Let me have my toast and banana and a sandwich and all these sort of things beforehand. And then, you know, you just, your, your body can't tolerate that food during your run on your race and you have a lot of GI issues and everything just falls to pieces. So during, a tra- during your training, try and train your guts to take in food and run with some food in your stomach because you need that for fuel later on. You can't start with an empty stomach because then you're just playing catch up from there. But you also need to train your gut to have some food in your stomach when you do run. So that's where training comes into it. Um, During the race and fueling mistakes, uh, you want to make sure that you're on track with your sweat loss, your um, sweat concentration, how much fuel, how much uh, fluids you should be taking in, when you should be taking in your gels, when you should be taking in your um, carbs and those sorts of things. I've had a conversation with Andy Blow on the podcast, talked about hydration status and um, hydration strategies and those sorts of things talking about sweat loss. Um, really, really interesting. So if you just search in your, um, search bar, run smarter podcast, Andy blow, and that will pop up. Um, yeah, cause this is one thing that I did. I actually did this preparing for the book was, um, document my sweat loss. And I did it with a number of things I did it with a run with a bike ride with hot weather with cold weather and just sort of got a general sense of how much sweat I usually lose when I exercise and turns out I don't sweat a lot turns out uh, I can't even remember I lose about um, 0.4 or 0.5 milliliters no 0.5 yeah 0.4 0.5 liters of sweat per hour which I think 0.8 to 1.2 is average. So I'm well below, I've got a really low sweat rate, but in my sweat, I have a very high concentration of sodium. So I'm a salty sweater, apparently. Um, So that sort of unique combination means that, you know, I have a different strategy for someone else in terms of when to replace my fluid, when to replace my carbs and those sorts of things. So everyone's unique, everyone's different in that and honing in on those sort of things can help you really prepare for a marathon. So if you have trained your body to uh, tolerate, to run with some food in your stomach so that you can have a breakfast that's topping up your fuel stores, and then you have a strategy during the race of when to fuel, how to fuel, how frequently, um, then that's setting you up for success. And yep, requires trial and error. Some people can do all these things and trained to have food in their stomach and then start line have like GI issues only because of the excitement, anticipation, anxiety of the race. And like when you are anxious and, or excited, like your gut just doesn't work as well as it should. And so if you're continuously having GI issues on race day, even though you've prepared yourself accordingly, it might not be the food. It might be, you need to settle down that anxiety. You need to try and, um, come up with more psychological strategies to calm yourself down to have better stomach function. The other big mistake, um which I've talked about on the podcast before, is people do their marathon and start taking their gels and their carbs way too late in the race. They'll wait till there's a there's a little fade or a little lull or they start to slow down a bit and then they take their gels way too late. You want to top up your fuel cell. You want to top up your fuel really early on, and try and keep it as high as possible. Um, because of a couple of things, one, you're already depleted in your energy stores when you have that gel in that first scenario. So you're going to have to try and play catch up. But also, if you're fatiguing and you're dehydrated, you, your body can't function as well because blood flow is going away from your organs and towards your muscles. Uh, your legs and your skeletal system. And so you put food in a stomach that doesn't have a lot of blood supply, it's not going to function well. It's just going to sit there and you're going to get really unwell. So not only does fueling early on keep your fuel tank high, but your body can better absorb it and utilize that fuel. So a few things to keep in mind. All right. Um main takeaways. Just try and mimic race day as much as possible. You want to try and mimic race day in terms of the pacing, in terms of the weather, the clothing, the fueling, the terrain, um, footwear, all these sorts of things you want to try and mimic. Because if you mimic, then you can prepare. If you mimic, then you can adapt and make it, the give you the best chance for success. Yes, unexpected things happen. That's fine. We know that some people just have bad days, but follow these things, or at least know these mistakes and have countermeasures in place and you're gonna have less bad days, trust me. Um, So a whole bunch of takeaways here. Um, That YouTube video went for eight minutes and this one's going for 40. So definitely expanded upon a lot of these topics and hopefully provided more value. Um, So I'm glad I did this as a topic. Hopefully you enjoyed and remember, Every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20-minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance emails aren't for you consider my facebook group instagram and youtube channels and remember each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough